gosh. Does that suck? <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti-Monitor from DoomRocket.com. Do it, I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. All right, everybody, this is Anti-Monitor, the place where we try to make sense of the senseless in cinema. I'm Matt Birdman Fleming. With me, as always, is Jared Jones, editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com. And we just found out today he is a member of Team Taco Bell Baja Blast. It's the total truth. In context. In context. Have you been to the new uh, Taco Bell Cantina and tried some of their Baja Blast margaritas yet? Are you talking about that new Taco Bell in... Uh, in Wicker Park in Chicago? Yeah, sure. uh, No, I haven't actually popped in. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to make a margarita date sometime. Uh, maybe. Well, uh, we watched something that was... Uh, <laughs> needless to say, it was very uncomfortable and it was very difficult for us not to uh, stop and pause and chuckle a lot. All right, enough of all that. Let's talk about what's been going on this week in uh, Hollywood. Jared, how did you feel about the movie Pacific Rim? Pacific Rim. Mm. I love... Uh, Specifically? <laughs> Specific Rim. Specifically, I love Pacific Rim. Uh, easily one of my favorite Guillermo del Toro movies. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, I heard some bad news this week. Um, that's right. We, we found out that uh, Pacific Rim may or may not be off the tables now it's it's tough to say because um uh we have uh, conflicting reports at this point hugely conflicting reports um to be fair the initial reports buried in the uh piece about legendary's problem mm -hmm. with uh legendary pictures legendary pictures that's, that's right charge, but... um the uh the development that pacific rim because it was not a uh overwhelming moneymaker mm -hmm. might be back on the shelf in favor of some other monster pictures that might draw in a little bit more. Guillermo del Toro has been very adamant about the fact that he thinks it's a global film and he thinks that this can pull in money everywhere, but studios are a little wishy-washy and well, maybe but, not looking to gamble so much anymore. Which is crazy to me because when you look at worldwide markets uh, in terms of any film, any franchise film, uh, Pacific Rim performed tremendously overseas. I mean, uh, I mean, the gap between domestic gross and uh, worldwide gross for that film may not be a quantum leap, but uh, if that and most films in general are going to pull in more uh, uh, from far away, we can't rely on domestic grosses to sell a film anymore. Fifty-five million dollars in an opening weekend doesn't wash these days. It just doesn't anymore. So it, it just kind of baffles me that like Pacific Rim is like a uh, a, a non-priority for Legendary Pictures, a, a fledgling. I could still use this word considering le Legendary is that they are still uh, fledgling despite their, their cozy relationship with DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers. Um, they do have their hands in a lot of pots. They do. and But when they make bonehead decisions like this... Based on what? Based on nonsense, and then they put away a potential like killer of a franchise like Pacific Rim. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. And what was the primary reason that Pacific Rim might not be getting the uh, oh, the it's cheddar? Just, and it's not the, getting the priority. Uh, well, there have been reports that Thomas Tull, the uh, CEO, chairman of the board of Legendary Pictures. Yeah, the CEO. The, yeah, the CEO. Uh, has you clearly don't know the references in rap? Oh, I see. Where everyone's a CEO. Mm -hmm. Thomas Tall <laughs> has gotten uh, gotten under some people's skin a little bit. T Tall uh, poorly, and uh, I can see why. Well, he is a self-avowed uh, fanboy, mm. self-admitted fanboy. Mm. He Aren't we all. <laughs> yeah, but we don't all have access to millions and millions and millions of uh, distributing dollars from the major studios. Mm -hmm. So when he starts saying things like, oh, you know, maybe uh, I'm a little more responsible for the success of the Batman reboots, uh, taking credit where credit maybe isn't due. You're talking about uh, Legendary's participation in the uh, production of the Dark Knight trilogy. That's right. As well as uh, Transformers 4, mm. starring Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Now, 
Why would you bring that up, Bird? Well, everyone knows that uh, if you read DoomRocket.com, you know that last summer, Jared Jones submitted a review for a film starring Mark Wahlberg called Transformers 4. Uh, well, more specifically, Transformers Age of Extinction. Now, well, and you can't see me holding up a four every no. time I say Transformers. Nor could you uh, see me hold up Deuce 5s or a gun to my head when I say Transformers 5, mm -hmm. but the, the S's in Transformers are 5s. That's right. Yeah, because um, we got other news coming our way, and that is... Oh, so there's this weird thing that happened, uh, organized by the uh, figurehead of Transformers franchise, Michael Bay, and his best friend forever, Steven Spielberg, mm -hmm. where they organized a sort of content creation universe expansion writer's retreat for two weeks. And what was this for? Uh, it was to, well, it's to expand the Transformers universe. Mm which um, starts with the immediate uh, pre-production on Transformers 5, mm. a direct sequel to the Mark Wahlberg Transformers Age of Extinction. Mm. Uh, also, a, an animated origin story, mm -hmm. as well as just uh, they created enough content to keep this disgusting behemoth going for alive for like 15 more years. My... Uh... Uh, the first thing I would say is is that these things are not that uncommon. Uh, writing summits, especially in comic books, are almost mandatory. It's like you want to keep uh, a, a storyline going for an entire year. You have to get a group of writers together to make sure that can happen. This is and just kind of uncommon for for films. For well, that's just like a sign of the times. Is that like we're living in franchise city where like we have to protract stories for so long. We have to keep them going until, uh, I hope not, doomsday. <laughs> but um, this Transformers Summit actually makes a whole lot of sense, especially uh, when you consider the fact that Steven Spielberg is now officially uh, forehead deep into this franchise. Billions of dollars are getting exchanged every single time this movie gets, uh, gets made. A fifth movie will only... Almost guarantee another billion dollars uh, in the coffers of Mr. Uh, Spielberg and Bay and everyone else who's affiliated with uh, Transformers. Paramount. So you better make damn sure that they're going to be like, oh yeah, we're going to get all these writers together. We're going to make all these movies. And then, of course, the big news is another Transformers animated film. That's what I'm pumped about because everyone can talk as long as they want about Transformers movies. The Transformers, the movie, absolutely is the only one in my mind. Still have it on tape. Keep it at home, featuring the voice of one Mister Orson Welles. That's right. Final rest role. your soul. Yes, rest his soul. Um, I loved. I love that you brought up in that newswire that uh, because it was such a sinister collusion that perhaps they were uh, there was something uh, far more daunting at, at task that maybe they were trying to resurrect. Uh, uh, a cacophony of souls to ensure that uh, a sacrifice of blood to ensure that the Transformers franchise would endure. Absolutely. And that maybe they would resurrect the dead voice of Orson Welles for this got, new Transformers. I got two animation. words for you, dude. What's up? Tran excuse me. Superman returns. Mm. Okay? Why do you, what? Uh oh, because of the Brando. Because of the Brando. Because of the Brando. Because I of the see. Brando. Yes. Okay, I see. I that. can that just I can just imagine hearing the dulcet tones, the mm. cigar and brandy worn <laughs> voice of Orson, Orson Welles just in the beginning of this origin. I would I mean, I'll watch it either anyway, way. Uh, you know what? That means you're a part of the problem, officially. You said <laughs> it out loud. Like yeah, you're a part of keeping this alive. That's not now here's the thing. I did I have not seen uh, Transformers film in the theaters since the no okay I didn't see the second one I saw the third one didn't mm. see the fourth one mm. so I'm like every other I saw the first one in the theaters mm -hmm. like, just like everybody else just to see uh, I did not see the second one in theaters did see it later uh, the third one 
I did not see it all. As a matter of fact, I couldn't tell you that it even existed. Uh, but I did see... Actually, you know what? I'm a fucking liar. Of course <laughs> I saw it. Of course Because that's the one that replaced Megan Fox. Yep. Yeah, I saw that one. That's the problem with these movies, is that they are so interchangeable and they look almost identical, you can't tell them apart. It's really sad. Mm. And I, I watched a, a good video on YouTube about reboots and sequels and things like that and how infusing all of these billions of dollars into old ideas is just taking away from new ideas that are smaller that you could divert funds this way and that mm -hmm. way and maybe develop some new ideas develop some new voices in cinema maybe come up with some something fresh you know a well, new star wars instead of all the old star wars a new space robots movie instead of oh look the space robots are back right well i mean to bring it back around uh I mean, that's kind of what Guillermo del Toro was doing with Pacific Rim. Oh, that's right. Is that, like, uh, that whole concept is ripped from an endless stream of Japanese anime. Yeah, the Toho stuff. Uh, and, well, it, it goes deeper than that. I mean, it's like this hybrid of... I mean, it's like Quentin Tarantino had a wet dream after he watched a marathon of Voltron. Like, that's what Pacific Rim is to me. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful thing because it is as uh, awesome and reverent and original and fresh. Even when it feels stodgy and stupid, it, it at the same time feels immediate and uh, and incredible. Like it has a spectacle to show you with stakes, which is the antithesis of the Transformer franchise in full. That's how I feel about it. I agree. There, There's so much more time spent in Pacific Rim devoted to monsters fighting giant robots operated by humans, mm -hmm. whereas everything in the Transformers movies revolves around uh, giant space robots just destroying city after city. and For no for, reason and, for at all. They did it to Chicago twice. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, uh, MJ and I, whenever we take a walk down Wacker, we like the... Uh, go on the detours to see the Dark Knight tour, like our own personal Dark Knight tour. We go, this is where they shot this. And we, yeah. It's it's pathetic, but we like to do it. But sometimes I'll catch like a glimpse of a Michael Bay Transformers bit. I'll go, fuck, he <laughs> did it here too. Damn it. Like I can't enjoy this part of the city anymore. Thanks, Michael Bay. You ruined this too. I can't even enjoy my own town. Yeah, you know, also Michael Bay, thanks a lot for trying to ruin Mark Wahlberg for me. Mm. Hey guys, I'm a doctor. I invent things. This thing right here is a transformer. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, that was my daughter. My daughter. <laughs> Listen, daughter, I know that you're just technically, legally allowed to have sex with this dude. But right now we have bigger problems. I just found a fucking transformer over here. Now I got Kelsey Grandma breathing down my throat. I don't know what to do. I'm from Austin. Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. The... Austin part of Texas. You know, Texas choose. I mean, Texas. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't know. It, that's that's it. It's, it's just a, a sad inevitability that Michael Bay, as long as he has money and can make money, mm -hmm. people are, are going to do this. And there are some halfway decent writers who are willing to take blood money. You know what makes me sad? Is that when the apocalypse comes, Michael Bay gets to go on the ark. <laughs> that's what really fucks with me. Is that like I don't get a chance to put wrap my hands around my his throat like I just don't I will never have that moment. Michael Bay doesn't get to go on the ark. Michael Bay's got the ark in his backyard. <laughs> no, right next the to asteroids coming. I'm the one that gets crushed. He gets to fly off to uh, Xanadu or wherever the fuck the rich people get to go. Oh, it's I crazy. It. That drives me nuts. Um. All right. Well, everyone knows that we uh, we spend a lot of time watching movies that we don't necessarily want to watch. Uh, for a lack of desirable subject matter in the theaters right now, we decided to take another uh, trip down memory lane, uh, specifically to two summers ago. Is that right? One? Was it last summer? Last summer. Last summer, geez. The time just can't go by fast enough. That's like the opposite problem that this movie has. Mm -hmm. We saw the uh, Spider franchise killing The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Deuce. 
And it is a deuce, absolutely. It's a big turd of a movie. It's a, it's it like it's like being constipated for two and a half hours, just knowing that you're but out the of shit, is but as, you can't stop. But the release is as wet and fabulous as you could ever possibly hope for. That's what kills me, is that they put the prize money shot, the ending, in the trailer. It's like, oh, he's kicking around missiles that the rhino is shooting at him, and then he's going to put this manhole cover right in his face. Oh, that's the ending. That's boy. right. Let's stop this movie before it, it turns into an actual superhero movie. Yeah. Um, and that's what we have. Two and a half hours of a not Spider-Man movie. Now, what did I tell you when The Amazing Spider-Man 1 came out? How did I tell you I felt? Uh, I don't remember. I've been very vocal with many of my friends in that I found that movie to be a total bore. Yeah, I, oh I yeah. found it to be the most pointless remake. I thought that the in, inclusion, the only the only positive inclusion was that Andrew Garfield has a little bit of a better New York accent than Tobey Maguire. Well, he has a loose... More. Yeah, he has a little bit more of a loose kind of carefree attitude. There's a little more humor. That's what I liked about Andrew Garfield. Like, that's the part about Amazing Spider-Man that I liked is that he had, like, this, like, like, this New England affectation going on that that gave Peter Parker roots which was more than what Tobey Maguire did at least in terms of that kind of thing uh we could talk about Tobey Maguire versus Andrew Garfield later but like um Andrew Garfield really did kind of make Peter Parker feel like a kid again which is what Spider-Man needed to be because at the end of Sam Raimi's franchise Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson were fighting about getting married. Well, yeah, they were like 30 years married. old. Yeah, they're old fucking people, and no one wants to watch a Hollywood movie about two 30-plus-year-olds who can't figure their lives out. I don't. I am that one of those people. I don't want to watch that. Now, I do think that we should probably uh, subject the uh, Sam Raimi's third Spider-Man uh, to the anti-monitor treatment at some point that in the future. That will happen. That will happen. Um, yeah. But, boy, oh boy, did they put everything good about and when i say good i mean tolerable about the amazing spider-man 2 in the trailer yeah or what remember when we used to watch that trailer we multiple the trailer times and got kind of pumped about no, it we got more than pumped we watched that trailer like three times in a row yeah one afternoon at the house like i remember doing this i was like do you see that and you're like yeah i saw that and you're like we watched it again because all the cherry stuff was stuffed into this they trailer put all the actual spider action in there yeah they forget to tell you that the that the movie is one hour and 50 minutes of uh are they breaking up aren't they breaking up is uh aunt may gonna go graduate from nurse school <laughs> is she the new president of the hospital <laughs> if, what's gonna happen to these two planes if they don't turn yeah. There's so much filler in this movie. It's like a Nolan movie, really. No, it's not like it. a Nolan movie because <laughs> because at least if it's gonna if it's gonna be overstuffed, mm -hmm. it it's still trying too hard. But here's the thing, Bertie. When you stuff a turkey, if we're gonna use this metaphor, sure. When you stuff a turkey, it is with intent. It's like I am gonna put. X amount of celery, mm -hmm. X amount of breadcrumbs, X amount of pepper, X amount of salt, X amount of yeast, or whatever the fuck else goes into stuffing. In now I'm going to make this turkey fucking sing. Well, the problem what is, happens is... I'm not yeah. done with this metaphor. I'm writing this out. What happens is, with Spider-Man, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, is that Mark Webb, who was tasked with making this franchise work for Sony... To keep Spider-Man from Marvel Studios. And in fact, stuffed this movie with so much fan appeasement in the wrong way. He stuffed it in the front when it should have gone in the back with no seasoning whatsoever. And so, also, he stuffed it mostly at, with eggs. With it, yeah. Eggs? Well, like Easter eggs, to go with that metaphor. Oh, I see. But see, eggs don't belong yeah, okay. inside a turkey. Okay, got that. Rotten eggs, especially. Got it. Oh, okay, got it. Rotten got it. eggs stuffing inside a turkey. Sure. Because this turkey stank. Yeah, and that's the death of that metaphor. Now, let's talk about the plot of this movie. Yes. Well, what can I, I mean, what, what can I say about the plot of this movie? Uh, the I mean, prologue is 
basically Mark Webb saw The Dark Knight Rises, saw mm-hmm. the beginning of it, and was like, ooh, I want to have a cool airplane sequence. Okay, so let's talk about, let's touch on that for a minute, because, like, uh, it's an, a well-established fact in the Marvel U that Peter Parker's parents were agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, uh, they worked, they were scientists that worked in uh, specializing equipment for the government, and, like, they were, uh, they were fucking cool. I, I actually, I remember uh, a, a comic that came out in the uh, the late 90s, and uh, John Romita Sr. did a really spectacular, pardon the pun, cover featuring the Parker parents and their cool, like, uh, faux James Bondian uh, poses like uh, it looks like it just looked incredible and like the concept of that remained and that's the thing is that like Mark Webb and the writers he tasked to write this movie like they mined the Spider-Man mythos deep they went so deep like the dwarves and uh, 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 what's the, the the mountain well they dug too greedily and they dug too deep and then they unleashed the the, the Barog <laughs> of, uh, the, of Amazing Spider-Man 2 because like there's so much Spider-Man happening in this movie in terms of mythos but they forgot to make a Spider-Man movie while they were doing it it's like me talking about Spider-Man and you have to listen to me for two and a half hours except and, you only talk about Spider-Man three times except, once at the beginning yeah. once kind of mm-hmm. toward the end yeah. and then once at the very end again so the uh so the projected notion that uh, Richard and Mary Parker are like these like altruistic scientists that are fighting against the the evil Norman Osborn, like that's all good stuff. That's rich stuff that's been established that can be used and utilized uh, for a better means than what it is. What we get instead is this like really stupid and clumsy action sequence between. Uh, um, <laughs> Campbell Scott. Campbell Scott, who I love, and uh, his wife, uh, actress's name escapes me at the moment, um, against uh, Pretty oh, Boy Assassin Beth, Boy. That's right. It's M. Beth Davids. Oh my God! Army is that of M- Are you serious? That's M. Beth Davids. Get the fuck out of here. That's M. Beth Davids. Jesus Christ. That's Sam why. Raimi. That's why she is so beautiful. Oh my God! Sam Raimi must be spinning in his grave. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so like uh, it opens with this really dumb scene, and it's. Like ten minutes of this stuff, and I'm. I remember us seeing this opening weekend. Yep. And like there are kids in the theater, and I'm like looking at them, and I'm thinking, what are they thinking right now? It's like, my dad told me I'm seeing a Spider-Man movie. Where's all the? Why'd that lady get shot? Why is this plane crashing? Yeah, no. The movie just straight up opens with uh, air murder. Why does Vio have laptops back in the eighties? Will someone explain this to me, please? I can't use my I can't use my phone or my tablet on a plane. Campbell <laughs> Scott is uploading a video <laughs> to a subway tunnel. To a subway tunnel <laughs> from an airplane that is crashing to the ground yeah. on a Sony Vio. That's his last The last moment of Richard Parker's life isn't marveling at his uh wife and thinking about wife. his son. It's, it's uh, making sure that he uploaded the I Hate Norman Osborne gag reel. He wants to send a video to make sure that in about 10 years, his son can accidentally... Eight years. Eight, I was being yeah. vague. Yeah. But can accidentally find his subway tokens, find his mysterious subway lab, mm-hmm. and find out that he wasn't actually a dick. And you know what sucks is that that would be more than enough of a plot for one movie. For one movie. Uh unfortunately, this one has four more. That's right. Um first one beyond uh the Parker uh intrigue is uh Gwen Stacy actually going to go to England. Will they or won't they? Well, did this movie go out of its way to make it so goddamn complicated or did it? Because it did. Uh, it's like Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker, uh, played by Andrew Garfield and uh, Emma, Emma, Stone. Emma Stone, who are the walking epitome of a coupled hard-on. Like, uh, when they're just staring at each other, and they're kissing each other, and you know that in life they actually do love each other. It's it, it, yeah, good for them, but at the same time, it's like your chemistry eclipses your character's chemistry. 
It's like I am more intrigued by Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone getting it on than Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy actually being two teenagers in love and compromised by decisions that impact their future. Yeah, honestly, that's one of my biggest problems with this uh, with this film, with this franchise. There is such two, a thing as too two much. film franchise. Yeah. Uh, I found myself saying this to myself over and over again during this this watching. You are 18 years old. Your girlfriend just broke up with you. Yeah. Get over it. Or go listen to some go listen to some Pearl Jam. Go put your headphones on, put on some Soul Asylum. I'm going with what I, I was listening to when I was 14 or whatever. Go listen to some uh what are those uh those... Listen to Runaway Train. Yeah, listen to Runaway Train. Yeah. Go listen to some of that folk music that you listen to in the bed when you decide to become a detective. Get over it. Or inversely, go away. or inversely, your your boyfriend's a psychopath. He's been stalking you. Yep. You're better than him. He's holding you back. Oxford is calling. London is calling. Baby, you can drive my car. Or fly on this plane. Or Well, it's a Beatles thing. Yeah. I thought that would work, but it did. No, but seriously, uh, this movie would have been so much simpler if two 18-year-olds could have just been like, Okay, yeah, we broke up. And if Gwen Stacy could have been like, "Oh, you've been following me around the city and stalking me," oh, Red I'll be flag. like, I'll, I'll be like every other human girl at the age of eighteen, and say like, "Oh, you're insane." Mm -hmm. Restraining order. But and it, then no, I'm not going to die at all because like it has to like their relationship has to come back together. Like they have to go through fucking teenage emotional purgatory. For the end to actually stick. And I, and I remember talking to people about this movie after it came out. It bummed people out that Gwen Stacy... Oh, spoilers, by the way. We're going to have lots of spoilers in this movie. Or uh, talking about this movie, so be aware of that. Uh, Gwen Stacy dies. Gwen Stacy dies. And how dare you listen to Anti-Monitor Podcast and not know that going in. Um, but Gwen Stacy does die. And... So the movie makes sure that it has an impact. And I do have to give Mark Webb a little bit of credit is that he does know symbolism when he sees it. There are many symbolic moments. They're as ham-fisted and on the nose as they may be. I hear you snorting. Like the little web hand. The web hand, that's it. Reaching out. That's the worst of the case. It gets better from there. Unfortunately, that's the last thing you It gets better from there. See. It's the end of the movie. It's yeah. the, it is the end of the movie. <laughs> it gets better from there because about 20 minutes after that, the credits roll. Of course. But like when you consider all the other moments that actually take place, it's like he understands character. He understands story. He can make these thoughts connect. But unfortunately, uh, what he wants to do to make Sony happy is to throw all of the Spider-Man against the wall. Unfortunately... Unlike its titular wall crawler, it can't stick. Um, and and also the ideas that he wants to make happen are stupid. Well, not so, only stupid, but like they're trying to grow a franchise out of this movie. They're trying to grow a franchise, and instead they just bury it six feet deep, just like when Stacy at the end of the movie. Isn't this a fucking thing? So Is so they try to pile so much again of that Spider-Man mythos from the comics into this one film that what they end up doing is uh, confusing people mm -hmm. and wasting a lot of things and making things overly silly and coming out with two villains who are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And let's, uh, let's take a minute to talk about those villains. Uh, because in reality, there are three. There are three. Actually, there are four. No, there are five. How many villains are in this movie? There are so many villains actually operating in this movie because they were aiming for Sinister Six. And there, was all, there are also villains against the villains. Yeah. And isn't that weird? Like, Adrian Toomes is mm -hmm. in charge of Oscorp. Adrian Toomes, played by uh, Colm Fiore, uh, who y people might know as Lofi in Thor, a Marvel Studios movie. Or they might not know him from that because, because he just looks like a white dude. Yeah, well, he's a bald white dude. He was also uh, the doll maker in Gotham. Oh. Doll mocker. Doll mocker, that's yeah, right. You remember that? Yep. But um, he, who would have been magnificent as the vulture, 
and the wings were made because you see it at the end of the movie. Yep. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so he's one, and then there's uh, Felicia uh, Hardy. They don't call her Felicia Hardy. She's just Felicia. Uh, who is Her- that? Harry Osborne's uh, secretary. Right. No, but who is she? She's the... the black cat. Okay. Uh, oh, who, that's uh, why you were meowing every time she was on screen. Precisely. Uh, because, and here's the funny thing is that in Spider-Man 4, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4, Anne Hathaway was cast as Felicia Hardy, and she was going to play the black cat. Okay, so that's she was gonna fucking... get her. She was gonna get her uh, come out as the uh, Catwoman earlier than she was expected. She's gonna be the meower, M- meow no, lady, no, no, meow lady, no matter what. Yeah, like it was just gonna happen. Uh, and then of course there's Paul Giamatti as the Rhino, and he actually said to the press that it was an honor and a lifelong dream to portray the Rhino. That's because Paul Giamatti, for all it, of his positive at- attributes. It's one of my favorite actors. He's mm-hmm. been in some of my favorite roles, mm-hmm. some of my favorite movies. At the end of the day, Paul Giamatti is a schlub. He <laughs> is the same schlub that you see day in and day out. You think he's cool because he's in all these cool independent films. He is still a short, pudgy, bald <laughs> dude who is like, oh man, I got to be the rhino in a Spider-Man movie. Plus they gave me like a million dollars. They didn't pay him a million. They might have paid him a million dollars for that, that five minutes of work. So they, they shaved his head. Maybe he committed and they actually shaved his head or it's a skull cap. I don't they give him a they give him a fake but uh, there's a sickle and hammer. They give him around. a fake sickle and hammer tattoo on his calf. You caught that? Yeah, they couldn't be. I thought I was on the nose. Caught that. Yeah. Because he's Russian. Yeah. You know, in case you didn't know, in case you thought he was Ukrainian. Well, here's the thing is that uh yeah, the rhino had a Russian name. But he was just this dude from Brooklyn who became the Rhino. In the movie, he's this like... And this is just... Maybe maybe it's true. Maybe the U.S. government actually has like people in touch with the folks in Hollywood and go, look, we're anti-Russian right now, so you need to portray a heavily antagonistic bent against the Russians. Just make it happen. I don't care how you make it happen. Just do it. Well, we have the Rhino coming up in this new Spider-Man. Perfect. Make him the most aggressively antagonistic and uh, awfully uh, insulting caricature of a Russian you could ever possibly fathom. And you've got the Rhino. Go. I give you my God blessing. Make him the worst Russian stereotype since Yakov Smirnov. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And That's... it is that bad because he's he he screeches, he bellows, he says nothing. He has all this like uh, ru- faux Russian gibberish to spout. I just saw I kill you. I destroyed you. You want me to come down there so you can kill me? Yes. And yes, quips. And he bookends this movie. He's at the beginning and he is at the end. He's yep. the first and last thing you see in this movie. Uh, well, <laughs> kind of. And that isn't that a frustrating thing? But then to go beyond that. I I mean they're all t- equally terrible, but I think the guy who actually takes uh, a piece of the birthday cake yeah that's is, right it's birthday cake <laughs> is Jamie Foxx's Electro Max Dillon and the only reason I remember that name not because I've read the comic books is because that name will get repeated ad infinitum throughout this movie because that's right. because it's on his tag and not only that the only thing he ever wanted was for everyone to know who he was. He just want. He's a sad, lonely boy mm. who wants friends. Mm-hmm. Since he doesn't have any friends because he's a loser and he's crazy, he creates this fantasy in his head where Spider-Man's his best friend. But and it then, happened at a very important moment in his life where he had the blueprints for the grid that become important later in the movie. But the Rhino is throwing a hissy fit, and Spider-Man saves him very early on, and he goes, "You're my eyes and ears, buddy." But here's the problem, is that uh, there's one day in which the following happens. First, uh, Norman Osborn dies. Mm. Second, uh, because of that, chain reaction of events causes Max Dillon to be physically transformed into an electric monster who will call himself Electro. Uh, this, all this is happening on the same day. Uh, it's his birthday. It's the most, it's like the most insane 
single day mm, in right. a film. You're right. Because Norman that's Osborne the day... and Dylan have the same death birthday. And it's the day that, uh, that Peter Parker finally gets reunited with his friend from... Uh, eight years ago and they get to catch up on how they were friends when they were 10 it wasn't it great when we were kids and then and how awful it is to be adults oh hey man i'm so sorry that your dad's dead Let's hey go your hang dad's out. dead too hey and your mother mine too how'd your mother die oh we don't talk about that hey so what are you doing later oh well i'm gonna go meet up with my ex-girlfriend and she's gonna tell me that she's going to england and then i'm gonna have to fight this weird electric guy who thinks he's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that's weird. Yeah, you know what else is weird? It's his birthday. And I forgot. And that would be enough plot for, for one a movie. movie. <laughs> for a movie. And yet there's so much more. And this is like at 125 in the film. <laughs> and that's one day. So and, I'm and, glad that you brought up Norman Osborne because um, Chris Cooper... I remember when they announced that Chris Cooper was going to play Norman Osborn. I got pumped. No, I didn't get pumped because Chris Cooper peaked at American Beauty. Maybe adaptation, but my God, he, in my mind, this is before the movie came out, by Mm -hmm. the way. In my mind, I'm thinking, this guy is not the Green Goblin. (laughs) He's got a Southern accent. How is this guy some sort of like Manhattanite, like, uh, conglomerate, like, scientist? Scientician. Scientician. How is he this dude? How does this make any sense to me whatsoever? It doesn't. They just like to assemble all these great actors. Because Mark Webb was like this great independent filmmaker. And Sony has so much money. So much money, in fact, that everyone uses bio computers in the movie. Yeah, they do. Like, they, 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 (laughs) there's not a Mac to be found. It's like, Sony is so rich in their, in their, Actually, I wonder, is there a Sony lived-in Hollywood universe? All the Sony movies have bio computers. There are no Macs. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Nobody Google searches anything. Everybody uses Bing. Bing. Yeah. Jesus (laughs) Christ. I think we just stumbled onto something This is an alternate universe. Yeah, it's an alternate universe. It's a a, universe where uh, Tobey Maguire didn't get bit by a spider. What a life. It's crazy. So uh, getting back onto it, that would be enough. But Norman Osborn, uh, as they establish in the first Amazing Spider-Man, and the for this second franchise's endless, uh, uh, never-ending battle to evade narrative points. Like, just uh, to science it away. Or, or just get rid of characters like Norman Osborn because it's too complicated. Or J. Jonah Jameson in the sequel. Mm-hmm. It's like, no... Nah, Everyone remembers Willem Dafoe, and everyone remembers uh, uh, J.K. Rowling. Yeah, J.K. Simmons, close enough. (laughs) Everybody remembers them because they're iconic. I love them to death. Everyone knows I do, but um, everyone remembers these characters, so we're just going to skip them, and we're going to create a new Spider-Man franchise until they realize they can't anymore. We're just going to... Well, we're going to know. You know, it's a really smart move because when, uh, (laughs) when... when Andrew Garfield's uh, Peter Parker sends that email with a picture to J. Jonah Jameson, it's like, hey man, here's a picture and an invoice. And by the way, I, I think, think he's probably be- doing a good job. Then the email comes back that just says, wrong. And I just pictured J.K. Simmons, and I totally forgot that J.K. Simmons isn't still J. Jonah Jameson. Was, yeah, because he was so perfect. As a matter of fact, there are people who, on the internet who are saying that like, with this new Tom Holland Mm-hmm. A Spider-Man franchise that like J.K. Simmons could still be J. Joe and Jameson. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they could sign actually. Up. They could recast most of Sam Raimi's because uh, uh, Spider-Man cast into the new Spider-Man. Yeah, universe. sure. I mean, like because let's face it, the franchise had its problems, but like in reality, it was. Kind of perfect in its own little way. I mean, I liked old Aunt May better than Sally Field, and I love Sally Field. You know, but... I love Sally Field too, but I liked I liked Martin Sheen, Uncle Ben, better than Cliff Robertson, Uncle Ben. Yeah, because they didn't beat poor Cliff Robertson to death in front of my eyes in these new movies. I think mostly is because like Martin Sheen is like, all right, I'll go do this thing for you, and I'll die, and then I'll take my page and I go away. Right? Like, <laughs> that's right. Great. Cool, I gotta go pick Emilio up at the airport. Precisely. Like, he dies, and that's it. 
You don't see him anymore, unlike Mr. Dennis Leary that you see all over this oh, movie. Oh, you're talking about the ghost of Dennis Leary? Yeah. <laughs> who just shows of... up to mean mug? Who, who didn't show up in, like, past, like, footage from the first movie? Who got paid to arrive on set, like, get costumed, like, makeup, yep. and then stand and look at Peter Parker like, hmm. You better stop banging my daughter. You promised me. And isn't that fucked up? Because the ending is... Peter Parker promises Captain Stacy, yes, I will not bring Gwen into this, I swear. And so then, instead. like, the last scene in the movie is, like, Mr. Parker, you're late! And then he, like, he's like, I, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. And she's like, you promised you wouldn't do that? He's like, yeah, but promises are worth breaking. And he whispers yeah. that into his girlfriend's ear. And then he breaks the promise to Captain Stacy, and he kind of, sort of, murders Gwen Stacy, which makes me think that if they got to a third Amazing Spider-Man movie, mm. he was gonna just kill the rest of the Stacy family because there are three more like, of them. It seems a like that's kind of what he's out for. Now, let's real quick. Let's talk about uh, Harry Osborn and the, the his Green Goblin, mm. which is the other uh, plot slash you know uh, villain arc. Uh, he's got something I wrote it down called retroviral. Hyperplasia, which turns you into a gross monster. A, a goblin. A goblin. And uh, the only cure, so he thinks, is his best childhood friend's blood. Well, he doesn't know that, but Spider-Man's blood. Oh, that was the point I was trying to make. Really. Yeah. So, essentially, we have a, a subplot where someone... It's like if... Jared... A few years ago, I asked you if you wanted to move in together when we moved to Chicago. Mm -hmm. What if I had instead said, like, hey, man, we haven't seen each other in a while. Can I have some of your blood? I would have told you the same thing I told you then, which is fucking forget it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is the whole part of the movie that makes the most or the least sense, actually. Um, Harry Osborn needs Spider-Man's blood because not because he knows why. He finds out later why. But... At the moment, he's like, maybe, maybe it already worked. Maybe because your dad and my dad worked together. <laughs> Spider-Man happened, so maybe Spider-Blood will save my ass from dying from this retroviral hyperplasia. That's right. That's a real thing. <laughs> hyperplasia. Uh, and so, and, and, and Peter Parker's like, yo, I don't know. Maybe I'm sorry. I can't, I can't give you my blood. Listen, maybe my it. blood will do something like really bad to you. Like make you turn you into like a way more gross, disgusting goblin. What if it's not safe yet? What if, uh, maybe, Listen, uh, if, what if it know. kills you? Oh, but I'm already dying. It's not going to make me more dead. He, says, he that. says that. That's a line in the movie. He actually says, I can't get more dead. That's pretty good. Oh, I, actually, that's kind that of pretty like, good. It, it, Actual logic gets injected into this movie, and Spider-Man's like, nope, out the window. It happens so many times. I know. Where uh, plot holes get pointed out by secondary mm, characters. They do. It's like, uh, it's like that sequence where uh, Electro's finally contained, and he's at Ravencroft because Carnage. And uh, yep. uh, a psychopath German doctor, for no reason whatsoever, uh, is introduced, even though... That a feminine Nazi doctor. Well, that doctor was actually a woman in the comic books, but we'll not get on that. And uh, so he's talking to Electro, and he goes, Yes, I'm going to play the, the, the Bach, because uh, we don't listen to Wagner. We don't like to instigate. And uh, you're going to tell me everything about your, uh, your powers. And, and, and Jamie Foxx is like, you all know how powerful I am. And he's like, yes, as a matter of fact, this is why we are all here. He's like, yeah, well, me too. Oh. And, like, and then none of it makes any sense. In between, in between like, yeah. everything, it just keeps zapping him with more. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yes, there's no reason why this scene should exist. And uh, uh, Electro just pointed this out to the doctor. He's like, oh, this is just to find out how powerful I am. And then uh, they actually don't actually... They don't breach that subject. No, but he does. <laughs> but he does point, But he does point out to the doctor, you do realize that you just put me, a man whose power is to control electricity, in a room full of things that either contain or are controlled by electricity. I believe, I believe the line is, you realize you put me in a prison powered by 
electricity, which is most rooms in all of the world. That's right. You do realize and that you put me in a room with with, with lights on. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got a plug. I, guess what? You fucked up. You know that I can swim through outlets. Yeah, because well, he can. He can't yet, because he never does it. He never once does it in the movie, and that's the no. One. He does. No, he does. He it. does swim through the outlet. When? Uh, when? Yeah, at, later at Oscorp. Yeah, yeah. Later. So that's once in the movie. Yeah, once in the movie, but not before. Okay. At that moment, he can't. Well, it's because he didn't know that he could. Because that's after uh, when Harry Osborne comes to break him out of mm. electric jail. Oh, God, what a scene that he, was. He, uh, through the power of true friendship. <laughs> Immediate true friendship. Be, being hey, look, needed. These guys going to come here and put me in jail. I need you to like, fucking these get guys your act together. Me. I need you. Oh, you mean we're friends? Then he turns into electricity, zaps through all their chests, and... You know, he's like, oh man, my underwear is still here. And I guess he passed through so many actual cops that he developed, like, black leather gear. Like, he just comes out of that, like, with just, like, black That's what leather gear. What doesn't make sense is, I thought, when I when I first saw that uh, scene at Oscorp where uh, Harry Osborne brings him in and he's wearing, Electra's wearing that suit that has a lightning bolt on it, I was like, oh, so they already got to the basement and he got the, like, electric suit. Like, you know, the suit that Oscorp made in case someone turns into electricity and they need <laughs> just, a suit. Just like they made uh, arms for the guy who decided he wanted to be an octopus. That's right. And the guy who, oh, you want to be a bird? Here's our Here's vulture wings. wings. Uh, so they gave him the electric suit. But nope, turns out that somewhere in between uh, him standing in his underwear at Ravencroft mm -hmm. and them killing the guy at Oscorp, he just found... Oh, here's a suit that fits me. That's made of rubber. That I can. That's got a, a lightning bolt on it. <sighs> yep. Yep. The uh, no real thought was established in uh, uh, creating these villains. No, they just needed to cover up uh, Jamie Foxx's dick somehow. And we still have yet to talk about the other villain in this movie. Now, obviously, Sony didn't learn shit from Spider-Man Three because uh, it was like Spider-Man Three. Yeah, it made a bundle. But it made audiences so mad that Sony was actually like, maybe it's time for a reboot. <laughs> maybe it's time. And yet, one sequel in, they're recreating the mistakes of Spider-Man 3. So three villains tossed in. And the third villain, just like in the third Spider-Man movie, Harry Osborn, the Green Goblin. Except we don't even get the benefit of a first Green Goblin. It's just like, nope, Harry Osborn's the goblin, and he's going to fly in just in time to murder Gwen Stacy through the actions of Peter Parker. That's right. And uh, the most frustrating part about this movie is Dane DeHaan. I, I mean, Jimmy Oh, are Fo you talking about, uh, you're talking about the guy that is Gilbert Grape-era Leo DiCaprio? Yeah. Uh, he's the worst part of this movie, and this is a movie that has Jamie Foxx with a uh, bald wig. And just being completely blue. And awful. But uh, Dane DeHaan is easily the worst part about this movie. is because he shows up, throws a hissy fit, doesn't like how Spider-Man's like, no, bro, you don't get to stick needles in me because you're dying. And uh, Sorry, bro, you can't have my blood just because we were friends when we were 10. Oh, my God. This is such a millennial movie. It's like the dubstep in this movie. It's just, like, so unforgivable. The, it's so bad. The music in this movie is the worst. This is one of the worst film scores ever. And it pains me. Worst. It pains me because Pharrell was responsible for a lot of this. Yeah, Pharrell, but stick that to making, guy anyway. No, but Pharrell makes good pop music. Stick to doing pop music. But that's the problem with Sony making movies in the first fucking place is because they made their money off of music. So the it's song like, playing. oh, now we can make movies... And now we can get a guy like Pharrell to do like a soundtrack to the Spider-Man. Makes sense on paper, right? That right? Times Square scene. He ain't Danny Elfman is what that I'm saying. That Times Square scene. Yeah. Where that... He forgot my birthday. He's my enemy. The, like It's just a song of the thoughts going through mm -hmm. uh, Max Dillon's head. Mm -hmm. It's so unbearable. Yeah, but it's not as bad as like the final grid fight scene. Where like every time Spider-Man hits a pole, it's like bing, boom, boom, bow. They're they're not even like notes. They're like sub notes. They're just trying to make the Spider-Man movie into a music video. 
and very uh, poorly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, <laughs> getting back to Dane Dahan, so like he arrives just to uh, to aggravate, and then uh, his plight is kind of ushered through the movie. It's like, yes, Mister Osborne, right this way, right this way to eternal despair, and then of course it happens so easily. He's like, Adrian Toomes, I know you're fucking me over. Take me to the secret room where the secret... (laughs) Take me to the Sinister Six happens. Take me to the Sinister Six room. Yeah. And uh, that's what happens. And he's like, inject me with that green stuff. He's like, yeah, all right. All right. It's not going to work. Okay, fine, whatever. And then he's like, ow, it hurts. And he's like, yeah, peace. (laughs) He leaves. Exactly how it goes down. Oh, let me crawl toward this green goblin suit. And the suit actually has a a thing on its arm that says curing phase. That was the, that was the thing that was uh, revealed about that suit earlier when he was on his uh, table computer. Mm-hmm. Is the, oh, that suit right. had a built-in healing factor. Uh, so it, basically the suit gave him his superpowers got it. to fly around and well, That's still bullshit because then he shows up. What is he doing? Just kind of hovering and waiting for Electro to die? Because that's what happens. The second Electro's out and like... Uh, Pete and Gwen Stacy are like, aren't we cute? He shows up and he goes, now it's time to die. And he like just kind of swoops in, grabs her, and like tosses her from the sky. Yep. And then there's like this really extraneous, nonsensical like watchtower fight sequence that doesn't happen at all. Like there's like two, maybe one minute and thirty seconds of actual spider on goblin action, and then he's out, and then she falls. And Spidey catches her at the last minute, just like it happens in the comics. Her neck breaks, and that's the end of it. And, well, it's clear that they were just teasing. That they really wanted to do the Sinister Sinister Six stuff, but have a third Amazing Spider-Man where Spidey's out for blood revenge. Mm -hmm. He's got bloodlust, and he's got to capture and kill. Ah, but he comes around back to that, because he spends a year in mourning... And then he pops out and he goes, ah, there's no place like home. And he tosses that bullhorn behind him and he takes on the rhino. Like, he's Spidey again at the end of the movie. Right. Like, he's not bloodlust Spidey. No, but in a third one where the, uh, it's teased at the end. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it went down though. The actual, like, uh, template for Mm -hmm. Sony was Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay. Sinister uh, Sinister 6. Okay. Amazing Spider-Man 3 and 4. Yeah, none of that's going to happen. Yeah, and none of that's ever going to happen. Comics Alliance actually made this really awesome infographic of all the movies that are coming out in the next, like, ten years. I saw that. And now more than half of them are not even applicable. Because they were trying to make a Venom movie. They were trying to make a... Probably a Carnage as well. Oh, well, I mean, that was inevitably going to happen. But uh, they were really gambling on mid-90s Spider-Man comics. And it's such such garbage crap. Well, uh, let's wrap things up here. Well, I would like to talk about my favorite Spider-Man movie. And then I would like to compare that to your favorite Spider-Man movie. Jared, what's your favorite Spider-Man movie? Well, I'm glad you asked. Very thoughtful of you. Thank you. Spider-Man 2. Oh. Easily. Hands down. The most perfect Spider-Man movie I think we're ever going to get. Unless this Tom Holland kid pulls an audible and like decides, No, I'm not going to be in your damn Captain America movie. I'm going to make... I'm going to be the standout... I'm going to be the showboat, and then guess what? Boom. Spider-Man. 2017. Who's in? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. Um, I agree with you. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is the pinnacle of Spider-Mania. Yeah, well, it's it's hokey. It's silly. It's a, But it's Sam Raimi making a Hollywood movie as good as he could make it. He even gets his own little Raimi-isms in there. There's yeah. that whole hospital sequence where Octopus wakes up. And there's like that chainsaw and like all the quick cuts and the zoom-ins. Like it's it's perfect Sam Raimi nonsense. I agree. But then there's like show-stopping moments where like, you know, Mary Jane walks out of her own wedding in her wedding dress, you know, to find Peter Parker. Those moments mean something. Or when Spider-Man stops that train. Ooh. I have never seen something that made my heart stop like that before. I'm like, are you going to do it, Pete? Are you going to do it? Ah! And then the and then uh, the crowd surfing of the citizens of New York carrying yeah. their savior to safety. See his face. With, don't care with music that is actually appropriate to the scene by Danny uh, Danny Elfman. By Danny 
fucking elf. Man. Yeah. So um, I see, right? Now, I'm I'm an unabashed uh, fan of Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. and I think that the first Spider-Man movie that he made is Pretty an good. excellent first Spider-Man movie. Is that so? For the time when people were still kind of figuring out what comic book movies were going to be, and whether or not the they liked Macy Gray. Macy Gray shit's whatever. <laughs> okay, listen, don't hate on Macy Gray. She made like five bucks for that. But but when people were still figuring out, you know, Brian Singer's figuring out the X Men. Sam Raimi. Someone gave the guy who made Dark Man. He, they're like, here, Spider Man. That's another word followed by hey, man. James Cameron couldn't make this happen. This is what you could fucking yeah. do. Yeah. So the the biggest thing that Sam Raimi brings to anything he does, and that includes for the love of the god awful game. The thing he brings is cinematic nuance. Mm, he does. The The Amazing Spider-Man 1, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, no nuance. Shifts in tone, drastic shifts in tone, a lack of vision. Sam Raimi knew what he was doing, knew what he was making, knew what he wanted. By the time the third one came around, studio pressure really... Had to have been. It just made everything too full, too stuffed, and... At the end of the day, if Raimi can't do it, and those leads who were invested in that vision can't do it, I mean, then you gotta, yeah, Sony's gotta just throw the switch and well, try to see what sticks on the wall. My thing is with, uh, and we'll talk more at length about Spider-Man Three when we talk about Spider-Man Three, is that when uh, you look at what worked in that movie, which is like the um, subplot with the Sandman. Sandman. Even though it seems forced and hackneyed in the movie, you could tell that they probably had a lot more to go with that. They hired Ellen Barkin as his wife. Like, that that's not an accident. It wasn't supposed to be a subplot. A subplot. It was, it was supposed, supposed to be, to be the, the plot. plot. And so when you see, like, his formation and him growing, like, this Frankensteinian, like, lumbering as he grows and walks and becomes this tremendous movie monster... Like, those are the moments that work. And then Venom happens. It's like, Tobey Maguire's like, I don't feel like being emo anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into a dubstep. And he starts smacking the costume off of him. It's and just then the Venom same. just happens. It's like, it, that is like the perfect parallel between the points of this movie. It's like, we wanted to make a good movie, and then we wanted to appease the studio. And if, I really doubt this will ever happen, but if you happen to be an executive producer of an impending studio fr- or uh, superhero franchise, heed my words. Relinquish control to people who actually care about the properties that you want to make money for a bunch of other people. And then also watch some of those DC animated films that actually nail what a superhero movie should be. And it's still movie-ish. Like, yeah. Start with The Mask of the Phantasm, Batman, and then go from there. The Red Hood? Uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. Uh, yeah, actually, I would love to do an anti-anti-monitor on that because it's such a fantastic <laughs> movie. Well, uh, let's wrap things up here. Uh, I'd, I'd say that it's, uh, hands down, The Amazing Spider-Man 2... Might be the worst. ...is one of the worst, just, superhero films ever made. It really just hurts you to sit through it. You're watching... A stupid romance between two people who could their time's better spent being romantic in real life. Mm-hmm. Let's get a Spider-Man. Hopefully, with this Tom Holland uh, project, let's get a Spider-Man who's funny and that actually just worthwhile. You know, uh, stops crying, and maybe people will agree. Like, oh, this guy's keeping people from getting murdered. He's good. Yeah. Um, Except for that damn J. Jonah Jameson. That's fine. Maybe we'll actually get a new J. Jonah Jameson. He won't be as good. Never as good. J.K. Simmons, if you listen to this, remember, we're in your corner. Mm-hmm. So uh, make sure to follow us on social media. Jared is uh, at Jared Jones underscore on Twitter. I'm at Bird Money. Uh, Doom Rocket is at Doom Rocket underscore. Uh, go to DoomRocket.com every day for all of your news, reviews, we got some really killer content coming up. A lot of good original stuff. Clamshells. Uncultured. Uncultured. We got some good stuff. Some Lloyd Kaufman? 
Lloyd Kaufman retweeted us. Yeah, that was a big deal. It was a big deal. Lloyd Kaufman is a big hero of both of ours. Yeah. So there's another one. Lloyd, if, if Lloyd you listen, Kaufman likes clamshells, you should too. If Lloyd's listening to this, just remember, we love trauma. We're here all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, smell you later. Yeah. Jump in, jump in, jump in. Them boys are to something. They just spent like two or three weeks out the country. Them boys up to something. They just not just bluffing. You don't have to call. I hear my dance like Usher. Ooh. I just found my tempo like on DJ Mustard. Ooh. I hit that Janobi with my left hand up like, woo. Lobster and Celine for all my babies. Dad.